DEFCON turns 30 this year. What began simply as a going-away party for a co-worker has since evolved over the decades into an annual summer tradition for InfoSec leaders in Las Vegas. In fact, the week, which now includes other events such as Besides Las Vegas, the Diana Initiative, and Black Hat, is known as Hacker Summer Camp. Anyone who is anyone in the information security community is usually melting under the hot Nevada sun or braving the mid-afternoon monsoons. And one year, there were even grasshoppers. Yes, grasshoppers invaded Las Vegas at the start of Hacker Summer Camp in 2019. In Sin City, it's the insect invasion putting on a show no one can escape. They popped up out of nowhere. A 24-7 onslaught of grasshoppers that really sticks with you. What the heck? Dude, you're all covered in locusts. I know. You're just covered in them, dude. For many, the first impression felt downright biblical. A migrating horde of bugs so big, you could even see them from space. I first attended DEF CON in 2000, when it was still at the Alexis Park Hotel, just off the Strip. The cost of entry then, and still is, nominal. Currently, it's $300 a ticket. That's a steal. I went on to speak at DEF CON 18 when it was held in the Riviera. I'm Robert Vimosi, and uh, by day I'm an analyst at Javelin Strategy and Research, where I do security risk and fraud for the financial services industry. I'm also a blogger at Forbes.com. I'm a contributing editor at PC World Magazine. I write a uh, monthly security column for Windows Secrets, and I do a couple other things on the side. I've also written a book, which I'll get to in a moment. This is a Bytes and Bullets. This is the author's panel here at DEF CON 18. And I'm joined today by Joseph Mann, Jeffrey Carr, and Robert Kanaki. And they've all written books. And in a few moments, they'll get the chance to talk about their books. DEF CON moved to the Rio for a few years, and now it's at Caesars. Well, actually, it's at five or six different hotels, including Caesars. Yeah, DEF CON at 30 is massive. And part of the reason for that explosive growth is over the last 10 years, DEF CON has been adding topic-specific villages. And this year, there are over 30 distinct villages available. So in this episode, I'm going to share some of the conversations I've had with leaders of some of those more established villages over the last 50 episodes of The Hacker Mind. Yes, this episode contains some recycled material. However, rather than just repeating the episode, I'm repackaging it. I hope you'll stick around. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm discussing some of the individual villages you'll find at DEF CON. In particular, I'm going to be talking to the leaders of four villages, the car hacking village, the lock picking village, the ICS village, and the aerospace village. One of the oldest and most crowded independent villages at DEF CON is the lock picking village. I remember walking into that village for the first time years ago and finding table after table of locks and picks with friendly volunteers to assist anyone who had any questions. Literally each lock came with its own tutorial. I have to admit, lock picking itself is very addictive. And in episode 16, I explored this topic further. 
So lockpicking has always been a huge part of the hacker world and the community, both as a hobby interest and also now uh, increasingly as with faces like mine as a professional endeavor. This is Deviant Olaf, one of the names often associated with modern lockpicking. I first interviewed him a few years ago at Black Hat for my book, When Gadgets Betray Us. Recently, I asked him why lockpicking remains so appealing within the hacker culture. So locks at DEF CON and locks at, at any hacker conference, they've been around, right? They've been on somebody's table at lunch or in a hallway. So these informal sessions were always part of the hacker culture. But it was really a fellow named Kai and his friend Doc and some other people from Colorado uh, in the 719 area code, they they were the first that anyone really remembers in those early single-digit days of DEF CON to start challenges and workshop tables. Still very informal, um, but it was that was the beginnings of, hey, come over here and why don't you try this? So when they saw my presentation years ago uh, about locks and lock picking at DEF CON, that's when they approached me and DEF CON leadership approached me and said, hey, do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to stand up some of you? You know, you had that you had a table in the hallway after your talk that was as big as anything other people set up usually all weekend. Do you want to do that next year? And that was sort of the inception of what I what I called the lockpick village at DEF CON. DEF CON wasn't the first conference to host lockpicking. As we're about to hear, the Dutch were way ahead of other countries in providing lockpicking as a sport for hackers. Uh, the Dutch had sometimes been doing what they called a village tent at uh, Dutch events at a big campground. But yeah, the idea of uh, the mantra of the lockpick village, I called it three words, learn, touch, do. Uh, it is a one-stop shop, the lockpick village and many other teaching villages that have grown out of that tradition. Now, gosh, there must be 20 or more villages at DEF CON. If you want to learn radio, if you want to learn tampering with seals, if you want to learn encryption, if you want to learn, you name it. There was a cannabis village recently at DEF CON. But uh, all one-stop shop, you can learn about a topic with someone instructing you. You can immediately go hands-on and immediately get that, wow, I can do this feedback moment that encourages people to keep on learning and developing that skill. And it's not just DEF CON. Lockpicking is a part of most legitimate hacker conferences today. That's largely because of something called the Open Organization of Lockpickers, or TOOL with three O's. They're an international organization that provides membership for those wanting to pick locks for sport, and they also provide the general public with a lot of free resources online. Many of those resources were created by Deviant. I was there right at the earliest days, although I was not one of the original board members when Tool was spun up in the United States. So Tool, the with three O's, the Open Organization of Lock Pickers, was originally a Dutch organization, uh, still exists to this day in the Netherlands. And there are chapters all around the world. There are chapters in the United Kingdom later. There are people who've contacted us from Canada and other countries. But the largest presence, in addition to the Dutch chapter, is the American organization, Tool US. Initially, many of us all were exposed to Tool through some of the Dutch hackers who were mainstays at American hacker conferences right around 2000. That was the first time that lockpicking made the leap from the silver screen to the tabletop in front of us at hacker events many times. So when the Dutch tool chapters, especially Body Wells, who's a name that comes up a great deal, when he and his associates sort of gave their blessing to people in America to start tool in the US, I was friends with that whole group and uh, Barry met me at the same time, but the initial board members 
were a couple gentlemen named Eric, one guy named Skyler, and one guy named Bobak. Uh, Skyler uh, left early on. He was still very close to the Locksport community, but he left the board, and I was voted onto the board in those early days. But I was not one of the original founders. I have been very proud to keep it going for many years. I am still on the board. I am one of the only board members remaining from that era. But we have no shortage of interest and great support and volunteer staff. So Tool will be around uh, long after I'm gone. With the formal creation of villages at DEF CON, I remember one just because it had a working model of a water treatment plant. A model, because you couldn't possibly bring the entire system into the grand ballroom of a Las Vegas hotel. Still, it was part of the Industrial Control Systems, or ICS, village. And in episode 45, I spoke with one of the founders of that village. Tom Van Norman, I am co-founder of ICS Village. How did it come about? Seems to me that it was one of the first villages at DEF CON. Yes, so I think we are going on our eighth year now. I have to look back, it might be nine years now, but we'll go with, we'll go with eight. Uh, so we, we were one of the first ones uh, that, that came about. Uh, you know, there at that time, there was a few other ones. The, uh, the wireless village has been, been around quite some time. Uh, there's other ones such as the car, car hacking village and, and, and stuff. But uh, so the, 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 the ISIS village started uh, say about eight, eight years ago at DEF CON to bring education, awareness and exposure to industrial control systems, technology, security. Uh, it started because we, 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 we would go to conferences and where we read articles and, and uh, you know, magazines, newspapers, whatever. And people were talking about hacking control systems, hacking PLCs. And what we quickly realized is they don't, they've, they've never touched a PLC. They have no idea what these control systems are, how they work. They're security researchers, uh, you know, that that maybe they got firmware or maybe they, they found a program or something somewhere and it's legitimate work, but it's pretty, uh, it became pr pretty obvious pretty quickly that people don't know what those controllers or what, what a PLC is or what a control system is. So we decided to put together ICS Village and around the world now, uh, we, we do international events now and expose people to control systems, to the technology, to security, uh, what happens uh, or ha how these systems go together, why, why they do what they do, how they work and things of that nature. So who is attracted to this village? We get people all over from, uh, you know, students in academia, we, we get uh, controls, people that work on the control systems, the engineers and the technicians who want to learn more about security. We get the InfoSec uh, people that, that uh, you know, maybe they work on enterprise systems. We get them that, that come because they want to learn more about OT security. We also get the uh, ICA security community that comes to understand more how things work and or different vendors, uh, how, how they play in with, with everything. And, you know, the audience is pretty, is pretty wide, which is, which is fantastic. We have from technicians all the way to, 
uh, upper management to you know senior leadership in companies that get involved. So I wonder, what is the barrier to entry for someone who is interested in this? For example, I have a laptop and it runs Linux, so I can get into network security. I can do those basic things. But if I want to do some ICS work, what do I need? How do I go about going to eBay and buying some equipment? How would that even look? So the uh, we, we get that question all the time. Where do I start? How do I start? Uh, you know, you can go to eBay. You can buy the stuff. The problem going to eBay and buying a controller is uh, now you need the software. Uh, you know, a lot of times the software is not free. You're not going to find the software normally on eBay. So you have to go back and find where the distributors are, how to buy that software. Uh, a lot of it's, it will spend all of its preparatory. So you have to, there's a learning curve with that. Uh, there's a huge cost in, in everything. Going to an ICS Village event, uh, we, we, we expose you to all that. We have trainers that, that we bring uh, running, you know, give out a little USB with, a, with, with all the required software on it. It's kind of crazy because we're at a security conference and we're giving a USB with, a, with, with you know, it always has a, a Ubuntu VM runs on it. And uh, people gladly take and put them on their computer and run it. And you have to question that, but they're 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 so eager to to learn it and 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 to do it, uh, and, and a lot of people you know have burner laptops at conferences anyway, so maybe they just aren't worried about it. Uh, there's more and more colleges, uh, colleges, university, community colleges that are that that have programs now. Uh, there there's also so many virtual conferences, uh, you know, one of the things that, that came out of COVID is everybody's doing hybrid this year. Uh, I can't think of any that are completely, well, I guess it's probably a, a few totally virtual ones out there, but hybrid conferences and a lot of the hybrid ones are, are for free. Uh, occasionally you'll find one that, that, that are not, but there's a, there's quite a few that, that, that are for free for free uh but but back, back to your back to your initial question there uh ebay sure the, the ramp up time though is pretty long uh we, we we find people all the time that hey i bought this thing off of ebay can you help me set it up i'd love to help you set that up but it's going to take us you know six hours to set that thing up because we have to get the software we have to you know just to, to spend on time so Come to one of the ICS Village events. We'll, we'll expose you to all of that. We'll, we're going to be bringing our trainers around now to different different events uh, this year. Interact with it, uh, and you know, go go uh, go from there. One of the things about the village is that you have physical models. That that, that display that that you're referencing. Uh, we 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 take that. Globally, we had that before the world shut down a couple of years ago. We had that in Kuwait. Uh, so we went from, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, where where it's where we had at the time, all the way to Kuwait and back. But that that goes to a, a lot of our conferences. Uh, we are working on some smaller kits where we don't have to uh, sh ship that that large one. But the, the the nice thing about that is it shows people how how the control systems go together, how how the process 
actually works. Uh, you know, we mentioned process automation before where, you know, we, we do have level transmitters and, and three-phase pumps and variable frequency drives and how those systems all work with one another. Uh, we have vendors, different vendors in there from, you know, Phoenix Contact, Alan Bradley, to Siemens, to Schneider, to Dragos and Clarity and Nozomi and, yeah, you know, the list goes on and on with the uh, with the different technologies that we show, how, how they all come together, how they work, why they're important, why some of them aren't that important. So that's also another uh, important thing to, uh, you know, debunk some of the myths that, that are out there. Uh, some, some of the marketing stuff, uh, certainly not to throw shade on anybody, but maybe you don't really need all of those things that are being sold. So the villages are getting more and more ambitious, from locks, which you can hold in your hand, to water treatment plants, which are too large and therefore have to be modeled. But what about something in between? Something like a car? In 2016, I took a two-day car hacking training session at Black Hat USA. And this was one year after the Jeep Cherokee remote hack. In that case, rather than just reporting on the vulnerability, the researchers had some fun. They actually had a reporter in the driver's seat on a Missouri interstate during rush hour, and they captured that video on how the researchers remotely turned off the brake system on that car. That video led Fiat Chrysler Automobiles to initiate one of the largest automobile recalls in U.S. history. And rightly so. Disabling the brakes on a moving vehicle is dangerous to the driver and to other drivers on the road. But the remote vehicle hacks are rare for a number of reasons. And in episode 27, I spoke with someone who knows car systems both inside and out. I'm obviously infamous and well-known um, in some circles. That's Robert Leal, my car hacking instructor at Black Hat. He's from CAN Bus Hack, and he's also the founder of the annual Car Hacking Village at DEF CON. Uh, I've, I've been working with and in the automotive industry. I live in the Detroit metro area. And he's been working with the automotive industry for years as a consultant and a hacker. I mean, it's a love-hate relationship, as you can imagine. Um, and we do, we do work with them, right? That's what's interesting. Like, we work with them because they have reasons and needs for companies uh, to interact with their systems, to test them, et cetera. But um, at the same time, you know, it, it's still a political battle as well, you know, you know, manufacturers aren't just one person, you know, like, like big companies aren't one person. And that's the thing that I've learned over the years. Like you could be one person who hates me, doesn't want to talk, talk to, uh, to Robert, but at the same time in that same organization, there may be a group of 10 people who are like, Hey, let's hire him because he knows he's the best guy for the job. Right. So, um, so it's just sort of a, it's, 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 it's a mixed emotion kind of thing. Robert and his team returned to DEFCON 29 this year in Las Vegas. This interview was actually recorded just before that event. Tell them to go back in time and go to DEFCON. You know, for the most part, we're really excited. We, we've worked really hard on, you know, having a safe environment for, um, for our CTF, and we hope that people join us. Um, we, we're trying to make sure we still 
maintain social distancing at our CTF and and in, in vehicles, we're trying to be as remote as possible so they don't have to actually go and connect and sit in vehicles themselves. So we're really working hard to make sure that that happens. Um, and, you know, obviously every DEF CON is requiring masks. So, you know, if, if, you, if you're vaccinated and you feel... Um, feel like this is a good uh, fit for you, come join the uh, the Car Hacking Village and our CTF. Um, and we're really excited to have, uh, you know, an in-person event. Or This will be my first in-person con since, you know, since March of 2020. So I'm really looking forward to it. 2019 was the last time I was at DEF CON. And I remember there were a lot of activities going on in the Car Hacking Village. For example, there were cars to hack, there were talks, there was even a Capture the Flag event. For the most part, we like we have a CTF. Um, we started year two of the, of the Car Hacking Village. We started a CTF, and from that, it's been, it was super successful. We had a lot of teams joining. It's a really great way for people to just start into like car hacking. So this year, we're going to have two two individual CTFs because we're hybrid, and so we wanted to make sure there was one virtual for 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 people who couldn't attend uh, or, or just aren't able to, for various reasons, attend DEF CON in person. So we'll have a, we'll have a virtual CTF. Um, and then we'll also have an in-person one. We're going to keep them a little bit separate because we want to, we want to make it uh, still fun in games for the people who are, who are there uh, in person. And, and that the thing is we give away prizes and we can't really, some of the prizes are pretty big. They're hard to mail. So we can't really give them away in any other way, but in person anyway. So we just figured let's just have an in-person one. So the goal is not necessarily to hack vehicles. And I mean, disable the vehicles with some sort of catastrophic new exploit, but rather to familiarize people with the general concepts of hacking. So our goal here is to just, you know, have a general interest, meet the, make a community out of it, right? Not necessarily in it. Not necessarily to to talk about exploits or really even get to that level, because for the most part, like to get an exploit on a vehicle is a significant challenge, right? Like any exploit in the world doesn't matter if it's a car or a PC takes research and understanding, and so you can't have an exploit or you can't get into that field until you start understanding what a CAN bus is or what attack surfaces are, and so that's really our main goal is to just through gamification of CTF and other uh, events there to have people interact with vehicle hardware that they are might be afraid to do otherwise on their own vehicle. Ah, yes, that. <laughs> do you hack your own vehicle, which has considerable value to you, or do you need to go out and buy a vehicle just for the purpose of hacking? The number one thing that I like sort of restraint that I get from people when they want to get into car hacking is, well, they may have a car, but they don't want to hack their own car. They like, they're afraid that they're going to hurt their own car. Okay. I feel there needs to be a disclaimer here to hack your own car at your own risk. I do not personally recommend this. There are tools that you can buy that can adequately emulate a car's system. I mean, I, to some extent, I get that, you know, especially when you're new, you don't want to like hurt your own car. But you probably won't. Like they don't make these cars in such a way that they're going to break so quickly and so easily. You really have to intentionally do something to your car before it really, really stops working. And and what's great about like if you mess up your computer or some software on your computer, what do you do? You turn it off and back on again. Well, same thing happens with cars. You take the battery off, you take, put the battery back on. They're usually back to normal. Um, in my, you know, 10, 11 years, 
oh man, even more than that, 20, 12, 15, 15 years now of like actually doing uh, vehicle uh, like hacking, I have only ever accidentally made a one vehicle not work. And it was always a possibility when I was doing, I knew when I launched the attack, I was like, this is a possibility that, that I could accidentally make this thing not work anymore. And that was just happened once, you know what I mean? So it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing that ever happened. So. There was that Jeep Cherokee hack. There was also a hack of the internal Wi-Fi network of a commercial airplane in flight. The details of these two hacks are far more nuanced, of course. But both lit up the media with concerns about cars randomly driving off the road and airplanes under the control of a rogue passenger. That fear, uncertainty, and doubt led to the creation of yet another village at DEF CON, the Aerospace Village. And in episode 42, I spoke with some of its leaders. Yeah, my name is Steve Luzinski, and I am the board chairman for the Aerospace Village. Now, before we get too far, one might ask, if you're going to go through the process of creating a village, why not create a whole conference around the topic of aerospace instead? Yeah, it's it's certainly easier to be a village than to put on an entire conference. And especially, uh, I know the villages from DEF CON. So being able to be a part of a massive event with the audience, that that's who we want to engage, that's who we want to help. Uh, being a part of DEF CON and being invited into the villages is what's a, it's such a good experience. Um, I think the easiest way to describe it, and I've, I've in, in talking to different folks who are not familiar with DEF CON, you know, any conference has presentations. You have your keynote, you have your, uh, you can do a specialization track of different talks and they try to have themes and things of that nature. And DEF CON's the same way. Uh, but what DEF CON has done is they've had groups of people who come together that wanna focus on a particular topic. Things like industrial control systems, uh, car hacking uh, and, and things of that nature, biohacking, medical devices. And so the ability to find folks who are interested in aviation related uh, computer systems and how do you make them secure, uh, space systems and how do you make them secure. And just the fact that those are hard to get to, hard to access. So uh, to get like-minded folks coming together to get exposure for other folks to go, hey, what's going on over there? I want to learn more about that. And they didn't know they were like-minded until they started seeing and talking. And that's the beauty of the village concept that as I've seen it in my few years of going to DEF CON and then uh, being a part of the, the aerospace village and, and getting to contribute to all of that. DEF CON is celebrating its 30th year this year with villages that are relatively new. So how did the aerospace village get started? I, I wish it was something as good as that, as the, uh, you know, all good ideas on the back of a cocktail napkin type of story. But I, I don't think it's too far from it. Um, I spoke with one of the guys that was fundamental to the village starting, Bo Woods who uh, has been on your podcast before. And I think folks who know DEF CON and the, the hacker community probably know him very well. Uh, and uh, beyond the hacker community and the policy side of things, his think tank work, Bo's a tremendous asset, uh, wealth of knowledge and things like that. And so I, I was asking him, uh, you know, what are the things that led up to 
what I started seeing and, and what was going on. And so um, some of the things because of Bo's work on nonprofit side, again, all, all around the InfoSec community, uh, but looking at these different villages. And if you remember two, 2014, around that time before that or so, uh, car hacking was starting to be in the news. People were talking about it. And uh, Bo told me, he's like, yeah, I had, I had conversations with folks at uh, the Aviation ISAC. They focus on uh, security in that community. And, and they were, there was interest in the fact of these, these are issues that we need to address. The inability or the reluctance to talk across communities for the private sector with government, government with private sector, right? There's that's ongoing and always there, but uh, the private sector in, in the cybersecurity community, getting the security researchers, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of trust there. A lot of people didn't know each other, and there wasn't always trust because of some of the claims that were coming out and the way that it was being presented in the media. Uh, that just made things difficult. As a longtime InfoSec reporter, I know it's sometimes hard to cover the issues as they are. There's so much hype. But I will say some of us really do take the time to talk to the experts. And some of us really do try to understand what's what. And often, yeah, it's not quite as sexy as your editor might want it to be. Often, though, the truth is a lot more cool. So there was interest in doing these things, conversations he had, like I mentioned, on the private sector side with folks that worked at uh, Department of Homeland Security before CISA was an actual agency, its, its predecessor. And there was interest in doing these things. But the struggle was, how do you do these things? And how do you bring these folks together? Um, and I remember what really struck me, uh, you know, not knowing that was going on, but uh, as an Air Force pilot, I, I, my last three years in the Air Force were at the Pentagon, and I had the opportunity because of where I work, working on cyber policy, plans and operations specifically, uh, I got to go to DEF CON. And man, what a great experience. That was DEF CON 22 back in 2014. But one of the panels, one of the talks that I went to uh, was specifically, I remember it was a, a, a there was a, I can't remember the guy's role. I think he was a CISO, the woman talking. I think she was a chief pilot at one of the airlines. But the discussion was, hey, there's these stories in the media. Here's the reality of how airplanes work, how the systems are connected, and whether or not they can really be hacked the way the claims are made. So it was very good for me from a flying background to hear it and having a little bit of a cybersecurity background hearing it. And then the discussions that went with that because of what was going on at the time. Given the size of airplanes, you might be thinking that the aerospace village is in a grand ballroom full of equipment or an airplane hangar. But in reality, it's pretty small. I asked Steve to give me a walkthrough of what the village looked like back in 2019 and what it might look like in the future. Uh, the conference space, we are one small part of it with the other villages. Uh, but the area that we had in 2019, for example, um, I'd say like, uh, think of an Olympic size swimming pool worth of floor space, uh, where off at one end, we had a F-35 simulator that the Air Force brought in for us. We have some tables and things for folks to hang out. 
we had a video feed showing a uh, bug bounty effort that was being done on an F-15 maintenance system. It wasn't in the same venue. We didn't have room for it, but it was the folks who were running that from SINAC, the Defense Digital Service, who were bringing that in and talking about what these folks were doing. Next to that, we had uh, a uh, virtual reality training that the Air Force uses for pilot training. And so just getting to see that, that some of those, the, the simulator and the VR goggles were interest to bring people in, not necessarily to hack on them, uh, but it certainly drew a crowd. Um, but we also had uh, what looked like a, it was a general aviation cockpit with the equipment on, a, on just basic plywood uh, but what it, it was operating, it had uh, power to it. And the guy who built it, Patrick Kiley, he worked for Rapid7. And for that event, Rapid7, because of his work, had found a, found a vulnerability in CAN bus and did a, a coordinated disclosure with DHS. And he was able to be there with his equipment, talk to folks coming up and show this is how it works. Here's the problem. And here's what it looks like when it isn't working correctly. So not only did you have the technically smart person who's talking about it, but there's the gear right there that you could touch and see and interact with and, and, and you get to learn what he was doing. Uh, in addition to that, and you know, towards the other side of things, uh, we had a display area where the cantenna that we mentioned before was on display. We had a small workshop. Uh, our uh, chief hacking officer, Jim Ross, uh, he does some great work, and he was showing folks how he built that antenna, how it works, and he had displayed the air traffic over the top of Las Vegas that that antenna could pick up. And in that same area, we had a couple of tables set up, and our uh, pen test partners, they're based in the UK, they were there, and they had pieces of aircraft equipment. It's not the latest and greatest cutting edge. They did not want to do anything like that, but it was simple equipment showing this is what it looks like. Here's what the inside looks like. Here are the protocols that are in there, the languages, the coding, the things in their work that they know how this equipment works, that they could interact with folks and talk to them about it. So think of the village then as a mini conference. It has presentations. It has its own activities. And the talks are pretty good. And then we were able to have uh, a few talks in that area, but also we had another that we shared for presentations. So we had a number of folks coming in talking across the range of aviation cybersecurity policy issues from a government perspective, things that other folks had done uh, from the hacking perspective and, and being able to talk about those in a uh, small audience, uh, about a hundred people at a time. So it was a good variety of things. And then uh, Matt mentioned it before, like what we did last year, we had a hybrid both virtual and in-person presence at DEF CON. And in that sense, because we built up a great partnership uh, between the Air Force, Air Force Research Labs, Defense Digital, and the Hackasat effort, and bringing in folks who had a flat sat on the table, showing how it works. Here's the actual device. Here are how things work on that. Um, our uh, support from Boeing, having an electronic flight bag, and talking about what this piece of equipment looks like and how it interacts and how pilots use it. So we've mentioned that these villages draw a subset of people from the larger conference, and some spend their entire time in the village, not even in the larger conference. 
So I'm wondering, who are the people who are drawn to the aerospace village? Are they hackers? Are they pilots? Are they both? Yeah, my name is Matt Mays, and uh, I'm the deputy director or chief of staff, depending on uh, on how you want to frame it. So what drew an experienced pilot like Matt to the village? All the different workshops and um, you know speakers we've had, it really is just an, an impressive list of, uh, of groups and people that we've had be a part of the village. And, and you really... I'd like to say you could almost spend the the entire conference just in our in our village. Um, it really is impressive, just the wide range of of activities available. Since these villages are mini hacking conferences within the larger hacking conference, it makes sense that in addition to having the exhibits and having their own speakers, they would also have their own capture the flag competitions. And the aerospace village is no different. We've actually, again, sort of down the, the, the path of crawl, walk, run, our uh, CTFs have also uh, run the gamut there from really just uh, you know, basic puzzles, uh, all virtual to the, uh, to the sort of the, the grand challenge of sorts, the, the Hackasat uh, uh, CTF, where it, that had dedicated uh, qualification rounds, and then the finals were done at, uh, as a part of DEF CON uh, two years ago. And, and that in uh, Hackasat 2 then took pay- place this last year. Um, and, and so th- while the finals for Hackset 2 were not a part of DEF CON, um, their presence was there talking about a, a, a lot of the different challenges that were available and the puzzles and, and that, uh, all of the skills that needed to go into taking part in their CTF. So it very much was, was there, but yeah, there's, uh, we have ETFs for, for all ranges of, uh, interests and abilities. Okay, so this is only four of the 34 villages expected to be at DEF CON 30 this year. And I'd like to thank Deviant, Robert, Tom, Steve, and Matt for sharing their experiences about DEF CON villages. As I said, there are many more villages. The Girls Hacking Village, the Voting Machine Hacking Village, the IoT Village, the Biohacking Village. And I'll have links to those in the show notes. If you've never been to DEF CON, I encourage you to go and try the villages. You will find people with like interests, and you will find cool new things, and you won't be disappointed. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, tell a friend. I bet there are others who like commercial-free narrative information security podcasts. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. I don't want you to miss out. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at Robert Vimosi on Twitter or join me on Discord. You can find the deets at hackermine.com. The Hacker Mine is brought to you every two weeks, commercial-free, by For All Secure. For The Hacker Mine, I remain a village unto myself, Robert Vimosi. <laughs>